It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS. Twitter, Instagram. Twitch.tv slash AJNick3. What's good ahead of Sweet 16 and Elite 8 weekend? Very exciting time in college basketball because, yes, the upsets are great for sure. Don't get me wrong. I think the upsets are certainly a, a big part of March Madness, a certain part of why people who don't watch the sport watch the sport for this tournament. The upsets, the unbelievable um, achievements by some of these teams that should never beat these other teams, right? Unless it's this tournament. So I think it's great that we have those upsets. But now when we get to Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, Natty, this is when you want the elite teams and match up against each other. And thankfully, we still have some really good matchups that did happen because of some upsets, but we still have some great, great matchups in the Sweet 16 and into the Elite 8, which we'll look ahead to all the hypothetical Elite 8 matchups as well. So we'll do... Um, Easiest path to the Final Four in the kickoff. Then we'll do our NCAA Tournament Sweet 16 Elite 8 previews, NFL headlines, Dell match play in golf world, and then a Mandalorian uh, Season 3 Episode 4 reaction. So that will be at the end of the pod. Again, if you're not caught up, I'll give you a, um, a time to end the pod for the week if you're not a if you're either not a Mando fan or a Mando fan that hasn't been caught up all the way. I'll tell you when to stop listening. Um, shout out to all the people that have taken the under trend and are listening to the pod and giving the pod another chance. Thank you. Um, that's really cool. So thank you. And if you got anything cool from the units, let me know. I'll retweet. I don't have that many followers, but, you know, I thought I'd retweet. <laughs> so uh, we'll do easiest path of the Final Four. Into the NCAA Tournament, Sweet 16 League, previews, NFL headlines, dumb match play, Mando reaction, and more. Soccer with a international break, and I'm not... I'm not going to do Euro qualifying right now or CONCACAF. I'm not doing it right now. I can't do it right now. We're in the middle of the NCAA tournament. I can't get wrapped up in international window right now. We're coming off a World Cup. I just did a ton of World Cup content. I'm Right now, I'm good on international soccer, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I love international soccer. I love the World Cup. I love the Euros. I love the Copa America, all the tournaments. I think it's great. But international breaks in the middle of the season, in a big season, like, I sometimes like, okay, here we go with another international break. Thankfully, there haven't been a lot this season due to the fact that they had a long one. So, no footy on this one. So, if you're a big footy fan, I'm sorry. But maybe you like college basketball now. So, uh, all right, kick it off. Easiest path to the Final Four. We'll start in the South with the number one overall seed, Bama. If they get past San Diego State, they play a Creighton team that they're simply deeper than and better than, or a Princeton team that at some point has to run out of gas and doesn't get to a Final Four. So just for that reason, like, yes, the San Diego State matchup, it's the second best team they could play in this situation, right, just because of the seeding. Otherwise, it would have been Virginia, the four. Now it's the five, San Diego State instead. Um but then they get to play a 6 or a 15 to get to the Final Four. So right now, as I'm looking at the brackets and the easiest path, I'm kind of leaning towards Alabama out of the South. 
Now, you look at the West. Or sorry, the Midwest first. We're going left right here. Midwest nearly held seating. Miami, the five, instead of Indiana, the four. But it's one five up top with Houston, Miami. And at the bottom, two, three with Texas Xavier. I think both games in the Sweet 16 here are awesome games. And I think this regional final is going to be a great game regardless. Doesn't matter which team wins and which uh, matchup. Because I love whatever matchup it will be in the Elite Eight. Houston Xavier's good. Houston Texas would be gigantic. Miami Xavier's good. Miami Texas is good. Like, there's a lot of really good basketball players on these four teams. So the Midwest is a war. It nearly held the seating. And Houston versus Texas to get to Houston in a Final Four. Oh, man. That would be awesome television. That would be a great moment um, in the sport, in my opinion. Now, the West nearly held up seating except for the one got knocked out by the 8 Arkansas. So it's 8-4 Arkansas versus UConn and then 3-2 at the bottom with the Zags taking on UCLA in a rematch of that Final Four Jalen Suggs buzzer beater. That was so awesome to uh, see, even though there was no crowd. Imagine if there was a crowd for that one, right? That would have been a special, special moment. But unfortunately, no crowd during the COVID tournament. But that was better than the year before when we didn't have a tournament. So I'll say this about the West. Again, nearly held the seating. Another combination here where any winners from either game in Elite Eight is another great game to get to a Final Four. If Arkansas gets to their third straight Elite Eight with Muss after beating UConn and takes on a Gonzaga or UCLA, that's a great story. If UConn beats Arkansas, they're 20 minutes away from a Final Four and can Coach Hurley follow the footsteps of Coach Ali and Coach Calhoun at UConn and establish that winning tradition again in Connecticut for the UConn Huskies. So that's the top. And at the bottom... The last time these two teams matched up in a gigantic game in this tournament was so much on the line. Yes, it was a few stages later and a weekend later, but two versus three here. And to me, I think even though I love Arkansas, I love UConn, I have futures on them. I have futures on UCLA as well. So hopefully in the West, it's just not Gonzaga, but hey, it's another story. These are great teams. And UCLA Gonzaga, I think, is a favorite over either team that comes out of Arkansas versus UConn. So, that being said, for UCLA and Gonzaga, this is really hard. Because one, they got to beat each other first. And then, whoever comes out of the, the battlefield that will, will be Arkansas-UConn, on Thursday night. I mean, these are some great, great matchups. So I'd say the mid, the West and the Midwest, very difficult. Mainly because, again, they kept so close to holding seating. Okay? And then we have the East, which I did predict was going to be a little minefield for Purdue. I just didn't think it was going to be in the first round. Uh, I thought it... They were going to lose to the Dukies in the Sweet 16, but Duke not there, Purdue not there, so we get FAU Tennessee, 
at the top. And then at the bottom in the garden, we got K-State, Michigan State. And I know Tennessee has had two solid wins in this tournament. The Louisiana team made a run in the first half to make it close. They made a run in the second half to make it close. But Tennessee was pretty much in control of that one, I felt like. And then the Duke game, they just bullied Duke. I can't keep harping on it enough. Um, I really thought Shire should have got a tech or something. That would have been out of his personality. But if he gets a tech there, at least maybe the officials start calling it a different way or giving Filipowski some calls. But Tennessee bullied him. Give him credit. Give Barnes credit. He gets to a Sweet 16 without uh, Ziegler. But I still favor K-State or Michigan State going through from the East region. Because FAU, another, another great story. Good guards, but they're not the Cinderella that I think they they thought they could be in this tournament, especially when you beat FTU, who is the Cinderella, right? Them and Princeton are the two big Cinderellas in this tournament so far. And then not only did you beat them, but you tried to do the 360 dunk at the buzzer. So the fans you might not have had but possibly lost, you definitely lost because you tried a 360 dunk at the buzzer. <laughs> so I know that doesn't really have anything to do with this, but I'm just saying fan-wise, FAU Tennessee isn't getting um, – Getting a lot of people moving. Yeah, obviously, in Knoxville, everybody's excited for the Tennessee Vols. We know that. But I'd say the early game at the Garden with K-State Michigan State, the winner of that goes to the Final Four, in my opinion. I think either team will beat a Tennessee, will beat a FAU in the Elite Eight. So I think that's the 20 minutes to decide who goes to the Final Four. K-State versus Michigan State. Thursday night at MSG. So I'd rank them... Easiest would be for Alabama. Then I would say for either K-State or Michigan State. And then the West and the Midwest for me are kind of tied because, yes, though Arkansas is an 8, I felt like they were not seated correctly because they had a ton of injuries. And I don't know if like, the committee takes into account injuries for some teams, but then not injuries for other teams. So I, I want to do about the committee. I, I, I want to be done with the committee for another, you know, 11 months-ish. You know what I mean? So I don't want to go about the committee anymore. But even though it's 8-4-3-2 and the Midwest is 1-5-3-2, it's not as big of a difference in the holding of seeds, in my opinion. So I would say the Midwest and the West, Midwest maybe just slightly above it. Um with a harder path because Xavier, Texas, the winner that comes out of that, that's a great game. Miami with their guards versus Houston's guards, whose guards are better. That's a fantastic game. Gonzaga, UCLA, there's just so much great talent on the floor. Both coaches are excellent coaches, in my opinion. Arkansas, UConn is really tough for me because I really like both teams. I love Moss. You know I love Hurley as well. I like a lot of guys on both teams. Um... So that one's tough for me to pick between. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and obviously, I have Michigan State going to the Final Four, as you know, if you've been listening. So I really want Michigan State to go to the Final Four from the East because I certainly don't want Tennessee to go. Uh, K-State, I wouldn't mind. Noel's a great story coming back to the Garden. That's really cool. I wouldn't hate if K-State won it, but anybody but Tennessee coming out of the East. And if FAU ever did, that's a really great story, but... Um, 
that would be a tough game against Bama if Bama would get to the Final Four. Just saying. So I'd say Bama, if they get past San Diego State, they would play Creighton or Princeton. Creighton in regional final is a very tough game. Cockburner is really, really good. We know how good they are, Creighton, but they're not deep. And Bama, I think, is a little more talented across the board and certainly deeper. So I would lean Bama against Creighton. And I would certainly lean Bama against Princeton, obviously. But at that point, Princeton getting to a regional final, who's would you, like? why would you bet against them? I don't know. So I'd say Bama does have the easiest path, then followed by the winner of the K-State-Michigan State game. Because, again, you're not getting a Tennessee team at full strength. And the West and the Midwest are awesome. I like again the Princeton upset, the FAU upset after Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue, and you're not seeing Purdue in the East Regional. You don't mind them, Michigan State, because there's like a there are seven, they're not a ten or a fifteen coming out of the bottom of the uh, East there. But you want to see single digit seeds kind of matching up here. You know, you get a one five in Houston, Miami. You get a three two in Xavier, Texas. You get a three two in Gonzaga, UCLA. You know, one five in Bama, San Diego State. Like these are, these are the matchups you want to see in the Sweet Sixteen because as the tournament goes on, you want to see, hey, this could have been a national championship. Look at these two teams matching up in in a regional final. This could be a, this could be the final. You know, so I uh, I just wanted to rank the pass to the final four for really the highest seeded teams left or the best position team. Which, in the West, I don't think there is one. I really don't. And I really don't know if there is one in the Midwest either. But the K-State-Michigan State winner definitely has a better path than the West or the Midwest. And Bama, if they can get past San Diego State to take on a 6 or a 15 for 40 minutes to a Final Four, like, that's, I mean, you'd break somebody's hand shaking it off. If somebody promised you that before the like, if someone said, "Hey, you get a 15 seed in the in the regional final to get to a final four," what, what where do I sign? You know, even though it would be a great story in Princeton, listen. At some point, those boys from what is it? I guess Central South Jersey, South Central Jersey. <laughs> Not really South Central, but Central South, we'll call it. I don't know if the Tiger boys can not only hang with the Blue Jays, but I certainly don't think they can hang with the Crimson Tide. And that's not a knock on them at all whatsoever. They beat Arizona. They beat Mizzou. Like, they beat two pretty good teams. Arizona is a team that I thought could win it all. Mizzou, not so much, but... And they didn't just beat Mizzou, by the way. They beat them down for 40 minutes. So... That's uh that's what we want to do for the kickoff tonight. Easiest path. I did it last year. I thought it was fun, so we did it again. All right, uh... So we go back to the South now for our Sweet 16 preview. Bama and San Diego State, the 1-5. Bama coming off first and second round wins over A&M, Corpus Christi, and then Maryland, the 8 seed in the second round. San Diego State had a really nice defensive showing against Charleston, had another nice defensive showing against Furman. They haven't they scored 75 against Furman, which they shot it better, but the first game against Charleston, they didn't really shoot it great either. And it was really their defense and Charleston shooting it so poorly that got them past that little 5-12 that everyone's so afraid of. But this game is really interesting for me. We haven't really seen Brandon Miller take over like he has in some SEC regular season games and some big games in the SEC tournament. Like, we haven't seen the Brandon Miller takeover game. 
and Bama still put up 96 and 73. And in the second round, it wasn't like they shot it really great to start the game. They kind of picked it up as it went on. But what I see from NATO's squad is if Miller doesn't play well, Sears and Quinterly pick it up in the backcourt. Clowney off the wing, either hitting corner threes or getting penetration. Betty Yako, the big steps off. The guys off the bench, Bradley, Griffin. Pringle had a great game coming off the bench in the first round. So even if their best player, Brandon Miller, isn't going, Oates has so many guys he can turn to that can make a multitude of shots, that can handle the ball, that can get to the rim, that can drive and kick, that can dump it down to Betty Yako. And Betty Yako, who not only is a nice post player, he's got a good post game, but he isn't a, I don't want to say he's an elite passer out of the post. He's a pretty good passer out of the post. So I, I would say this Bama team is just really set up to play in a multitude of ways with a multitude of guys at a multitude of positions. And Oates is really about getting the right five on there in the right flow of the game um, at the right time. So Bama has been spectacular really the entire season. Yeah, they've slipped up a couple times when they haven't shot it well. But again, it's not just the passing around the perimeter kind of offense for Bama. They get their threes in a lot of ways. Again, drive and kick, dump it into Bediaco, he throws it out. And it's not just one guy like a Quinterly driving and kicking, that's it. Quinterly can do it, Sears can do it, Miller can do it, Clowney can do it, Pringle can do it. There's so many guys for Nate Oates that can initiate the drive and kick or initiate the help to come in and they dump it off to Betty Yako for a dunk. So Bama to me is playing really good ball. Now San Diego State's defense could be the X factor here. If San Diego State upsets Bama, it's because they didn't outscore them. It's just that they played fantastic defense and got a couple more points more than they did. Now you're going to say, Asia, that's called outscoring them. No, I mean that they didn't go toe-for-toe with a high-flying offense and beat them 86-84. They won 68-62. You know what I mean? That's the game San Diego State wins. They probably can't get into the 70s against Bama. Bradley's been really good in double figures at Cal Transfer. Trammell, Butler, Ladee, Johnson, these are important players. Uh, Parrish has had two big games off the bench in this tournament. So they have about eight guys play around 20-plus minutes. Obviously, some guys play more, but really that's kind of the cutoff. So can Bradley neutralize a Miller? You know, can the San Diego State guards keep up with Quinterly and Sears? You know, I just think, unfortunately for San Diego State, they've had a nice run here. They've def they've uh, defended their conference well after their conference has struggled in this tournament recently. They've done a nice job for the Mountain West. But unfortunately for Coach Dutcher, this is where their tournament ends. You know, you heard him after the Furman game say, hey, when we see a team that's better than us and beats us, we'll tip our hat. Well, unfortunately, Coach, I think it's Friday night when you take on Bama. So um, I got Bama in that one. Then we go to Princeton Creighton. Princeton beat Arizona 59-55 in the first round. Then dismantled Mizzou in the second round, 78-63. Creighton with wins over NC State, and then their guards just played better than the Baylor guards in a second-round victory. The story of Creighton with Coach McDermott, Calc Brunner the big, Kaluma kind of the three-slash-four-slash-wing, and then the three guards. Nemhard, Alexander, Shireman the shooter. There's not a lot of depth on this Creighton team. 
Farabello really is the only guy that plays a significant amount of minutes, a big role off the bench, because it's really those five guys that are out there for the majority of the game for Coach McDermott. Calcburner does a really nice job of not fouling. I've really noticed that because I have I do watch the Big East a ton. I love the Big East. You know I love that league. So watching a lot of Creighton and just seeing Calcburner play defense without fouling consistently. Like you you teach bigs go straight up, jump vertically, don't put your arms down. When you get an offensive rebound, don't bring it down. Like I know Edie's out of the tournament. But I would say Edie and Kalkbrenner are really great examples of bigs getting coached well and being coachable. You rarely see Edie bring the ball to his ankles. You rarely see Kalkbrenner bring the ball to his ankles. And they both do a really good job of protecting the rim without fouling. They're very important for their teams, obviously. So, again, I understand they're not deep, but they're so talented. Now, Princeton, with the three guys in double figures in the regular season, uh, Eva Boonham, Juan, I think that's how you say it. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Lagborn, Alaco, Pierce and Kellerman get eight. Peters off the bench has had double figures in both tournament games. You got to figure out the pace of this one. If Princeton can slow it down, be really effective on the offensive end of the floor with either no live ball turnovers that lead to points going the other way because they're obviously not as athletic as Creighton. Some second chances with tip-outs and offensive rebounds, but they have to be efficient with the basketball. If Princeton doesn't turn the ball over, they're absolutely in this game. They're going to have a game plan defensively. They're a very intelligent group of kids and coaches, as we know. They're at Princeton, okay? So the fact that they've only given up 55, they gave up 55 to Arizona, by the way, and 63 against Mizzou, if the game is played at Princeton's pace. Can Creighton win? Yes, of course they could. They're the better team. But if the game's played at Creighton's pace, Princeton can't win. Princeton cannot score 80 in a game against Creighton when they're going to need to go bucket for bucket kind of a thing. I just don't see that happening. That's not the game they think they can win. So even if it does get to a little bit of a track meet and Creighton's trying to run, even off made baskets, off transition, like, all these kind of things, like, I still expect Princeton to try to slow it down and dictate the pace because that's the way they can win. They can't win a game in the high 70s and the 80s. They can win a game in the 50s, 60s, maybe low 70s, but probably not low 70s. I really don't think they can win a game in the low 70s because Creighton is that talented, and if Creighton's scoring that much, they're going to be able to get some stops. So whatever pace that one's played at, I think that's what determines the winner. So the best possible matchup is the one I'll talk about first, which is Bama Creighton. And Bama is more talented and deeper than Creighton. So I think that's why Bama would get to a Final Four if they get past San Diego State. Because they're certainly beating Princeton. No offense to Princeton. But Bama Creighton for me is the best matchup in an Elite Eight regional final in the South here. Kalkburner versus Bediaco. Miller, Sears, Quinterly versus Shireman, Alexander, Nemhard. Kaluma versus Clowney. Like, these are some great, great matchups. And Kaluma could probably guard Miller as well. So, that would be a awesome Elite Eight. I'm still giving Bama the nod because I do think they're a little better and a little deeper. 
Now, Bama, Princeton, I think Bama wins. Now, if San Diego State upsets Alabama and they face Creighton, that is a gigantic coin flip game. And a similar game to what if Creighton would have just won against Princeton. Again, it would have been a more it will be a more talented San Diego State team versus a Princeton team that they just would have beat, but it would be the same style. San Diego State would know, hey, we can't score with Creighton. So we gotta slow this thing down. So again, a San Diego State Creighton regional final, that would be a pace game for me entirely. Whoever the game's pace is played at wins the game. Again, can Creighton win a game at San Diego State's pace? For sure. They could, but I just don't think they are that capable, especially if Coach Dutcher's throwing a lot of more fresh guys than Creighton's answering with, with Coach McDermott and his lack of depth. So I would take San Diego State or Alabama to come out of this region. I think Creighton getting to a regional final would be fantastic. They're a very talented team, but they just don't have enough depth. When is that going to catch up with them? I think it catches up with them in a regional final. Because a Bama team would be a little similar to them. You know, really good guards, a good big, really good wings. Not a lot of depth for Creighton. Bama has more depth. That's where I think it would catch up with Creighton. So that's how I kind of see the South playing out. Let's go to the Midwest now. And Houston survived against Northern Kentucky in the first round. They had a great second half against Auburn, and Miami knocked off Drake with a awesome second half, and they beat Indiana convincingly, putting them away in the second half as well. So with Houston, the Sasser injury is a gigantic key. He re-aggravated it, but he was back in. So what is the situation with that after you know a week, not a week off, but close to a week off? Shed and Mark... Had to step up. They kind of did. Roberts, Walker, the bigs. Control the rim against the Miami guards. Do a good job against Amari, and they're in play. They can absolutely find themselves 40 minutes away from their hometown for a Final Four. Now, with Wong, Miller, Pack, those three guards have to be better than Sasser, Sheet, and Mark. Because, yeah, Poplar's nice, and Amiri's a good big, but this is a guards game. This Houston-Miami game is a guards game, and I'm very excited to watch this one um, on Friday night. That's a guards game. So that, to me, it's really simple, this Houston-Miami game. Whose guards play better? Whose guards make more shots? Whose guards don't turn it over? And whose guards are better than the other team's guards? I think it's a awesome March game. This Houston-Miami game is a awesome Sweet 16 game. And for me, whose guards play better? End of story. End of story in that one. And I think, though I do think Coach Larinag has done a great job with Miami, and they've had some nice runs with these guys, the Houston team, I think, is destined for a date with Texas in the Elite Eight to get to Houston. So I'll give Houston there. And I've already kind of given it away here. But I think the Fremantle injury does catch up with Xavier. Boom is great. Jones is great. Nunji at the rim has been fantastic. Kunkel's a great player. Hunter has had a nice um, 
couple games after being inserted into the starting lineup here. Claude and Edwards off the bench. Their roles have increased, but I just don't love, again, similar to Creighton. Xavier doesn't have a ton of depth. Xavier doesn't have a ton of depth for Sean Miller, and I think Sean Miller's done a great job. Don't get me wrong. He's been a... He's been a fantastic coach, but Terry, the intern with Texas, and he can trot out Carr, Hunter, Rice off the bench, Timmy Allen's healthy. Disu has been a phenomenal tournament player. Even though Mitchell starts, he doesn't play a gigantic role because they do have Rice coming off the bench. Cunningham and Bishop play roles. Bishop uh, comes in for Disu. Cunningham comes in and plays kind of that wing role player that you kind of need in college basketball leader. So Texas, again, has more depth. Miller's a great coach, but this Rodney Terry story is fascinating to me. And I love stories in March. I think we're set up for a Houston-Texas showdown to get to Space City and a Final Four. So I'll give Texas the nod in this one because I do think Sule Boom is a great player. But Carr or Hunter or Rice could guard him. Jones is a great player. Timmy Allen could guard him if he had to. Nunji's a great player. Disu's having an unbelievable tournament. Kunkel, great player. You got Hunter. Rice. You know, somebody... I For every time I look at Xavier, I'm like, damn, that's a really good team. Texas has an answer. So, even though I think I raved about the Big East on Tuesday, I've talked highly of Creighton and Xavier and UConn flying the flag for that conference, which is very uh, close to my heart, the Big East. I... Don't see Xavier beating Texas. Can they? For sure they can. Absolutely. And I can look like an idiot. That's fine. That's what you do the spot for. I'm not right all the time. Who's, that would be the worst show ever. I'm right all the time. I like being right. It's fun. It's fun to be wrong. You figure out, hey, maybe my point of thinking was right here. But I do think we're set up for Houston, Texas, which would be amazing. And I think that's the best Elite Eight game here in the Midwest. Again, another showing of whose guards can play better. You know, Carr, Hunter, and Rice versus Sasser, Shed, and Mark would be awesome. Roberts and Walker going up against Allen and Disu would be awesome. And I picked Texas against Houston in a regional final in my bracket, so I'll go that way as well. Um, now, if Houston plays Xavier... I would say Houston wins that game and gets to a Final Four. Um, not that the pressure will be off, but it will be much different than playing Texas. Because the crazy thing is, Houston is the number one overall seed and the Final Four is in Houston. So they have more to lose than uh, UT would. So if Houston does get past... Miami and Xavier gets past Texas, I see Houston going to the Final Four. Now, if Miami beats Houston, it's what an Elite Eight game. It would be Miami versus Texas or Miami versus Xavier. Again, any combination 
in the Midwest and the West in the Elite Eight, I am so excited for. Those regional finals are going to be great. Now, do I have Miami getting to a Final Four if they beat Houston? No. I think Texas and Xavier are both better teams, and it catches, it catches up with Miami, unfortunately. Uh, all right, to the West. Again, another awesome, awesome set of matchups here. Arkansas, the eight, UConn, the four. Arkansas coming off wins over Illinois in the first round and a one-point win over Kansas where the officials were horrendous and Musselman ripped his shirt off and called off the called, called the hops. Back-to-back Elite Eights, they're looking for three in a row. Smith Jr., the, out, the outstanding freshman. Council's been really big. Davis had an outstanding game against Kansas, 25, even though he fouled out. Black's been big. Some uh, big defensive plays in that first-round game against Illinois at the rim for the uh, young guard. Johnson also starts, but then Walsh, uh, Makai Mitchell, and Michael Mitchell off the bench for the must-bus. UConn with Hurley. It's been a big tournament for him. He's won two games, and he's, as Coach Calhoun said to the UConn after a practice, they're 80 minutes away from Final Four. Well, 40 minutes of hell versus Arkansas first will have to happen for them to get to the regional finals, we know. But Sonogo coming off two big games in the opening two rounds. Hawkins, the outstanding shooter. Newton handles the ball. Jackson Jr., maybe my favorite glue guy in the entire country when you look at that kind of role. Um, Caravan's been good, but he hasn't shot it as effectively as you would have liked him to. But that's okay because they have Calcaterra, they have Aline, they have Diara. But... I will say, Sonogo's been great, but Klingon off the bench has been really great, too. So, UConn has a lot of depth. Arkansas has a lot of depth. I love both these coaches. I really like all kind of four teams here in the West Regional, um, to be fair. So, it's unfortunate that one of them has to, only one of them can represent in the Final Four. But, Arkansas, UConn. I really want to pick Arkansas. I really do, but I think it just it ends here for them. To get to three straight Elite Eights is really, really hard. I know that it's right in front of them. It's not like they're out in the first round. They're like, ah, oh, damn, we couldn't, we couldn't keep that streak. They're 40 minutes away from keeping that streak alive and then playing for another opportunity to get to a Final Four. So it's not like they can't do it, but I just think this is a run for UConn where they make a regional final, and then next year they might win the whole thing if people come, depending on who comes back. So I'm going to give the nod to UConn here. I know Arkansas does have a little more experience, especially with Debo Davis um, and Musselman, but I just like the UConn shooting ability a little more. Arkansas, there are not a lot of shooters on that Arkansas team. There's a lot of grinders. There's a lot of shot makers, but they're not, I wouldn't say consistently good enough shooters, where if UConn comes out and shoots it well, I don't know if Arkansas will be able to uh, continue to score like UConn has, putting up 87 in the first round. And again, I know they only put up 70 in the second round, but it was kind of an impressive 70, especially when they held St. Mary's at 55. So... And credits Arkansas, they both got into the low... 70s and their wins, but I don't think low 70s is going to do it in this matchup. Now, Gonzaga-UCLA, we know how great both these teams are. Timmy leading the line for the Zags. 
Strother, Bolton, Watson, Malachi Smith, Hickman, the big players for Coach Few, for Coach Cronin, Hakez, Campbell. We know the dynamic duo there, but Singleton and Bailey coming off the wings. Bailey's been so, so big in the absence of Jalen Clark. I said it a couple weeks ago. I was like, this guy's game is finding form at the right time. And Bona being back is huge because he's just a better big than Wumba and Etienne. Even though they do have good depth with Wumba and Etienne, if Bona does get in foul trouble or if he gets banged up on that shoulder again, Bona's just a, a different player than those two other guys. And I do think UCLA just has too much here. Uh, I think they have the best player on the floor in Hawkes. Yes, Timmy is an unbelievable player. He has so many post moves. He's a go-to guy, but at the end of the day, I think with the duo of Campbell and Hawkes, with Campbell just making free throw after free throw, and I'll tell you what else about Tiger Campbell that I don't think a lot of people have noticed. His three-point shooting has been excellent. Year by year, kind of increasing that percentage, and a few years ago, I would always say, please don't shoot it. You know, like, and he'd make one and be like, okay, okay, you can shoot the next one, but don't shoot another one after that. But any time it's in transition, it's at end of shot clock, it's coming off a screen, he hits a consistent three now, and he's done a great job with that. So I thought his game has improved. Singleton, I know, is a little banged up. Bono, we know, is banged up. And Bailey's just still a young freshman, but his role has increased, and I don't think he's a freshman anymore. So, I'm going to give the nod to UCLA here at the bottom of the West Sweet 16. So if we look at the best game that I kind of pick here, UConn-UCLA, what a game that would be. Uh, again, UConn-Gonzaga would be a great game. Arkansas-UCLA would be a, be a great game. So would Arkansas-Gonzaga. So any form of the matchups here, I'm excited for. Um, the bigs matching up with the UConn depth that they have with Sonogo and Klingon versus Bona, Etienne, and Wumba would be great to watch. Then you have Campbell versus Newton, Hakez versus Jackson Jr., you know, Singleton versus uh, Hawkins, or, you know, Bo Bailey versus Hawkins. Somebody, like, I, that's a great game. UConn-Gonzaga is a great game with Sonogo going up against Timmy. Arkansas versus UCLA, a lot of matchups with some undersized guys, some, Bigger guys guarding smaller guys. Some smaller guys guarding bigger guys. That would be fun to watch Arkansas versus UCLA. And then Arkansas versus Gonzaga of two teams that have had opportunities here. And, you know, I'm never going to knock the must bus because if you get to back-to-back -back Elite 8s and then if it would be three in a row, like, that's outstanding. But if you get to three Elite 8s in a row, like, that's really tough to not win one of those and get to a Final Four. So, and then Gonzaga has been, what, runner-up twice, and they lost in the Final Four as well in, in the last, what, 10, 15 years, if I'm not mistaken. So they got to start thinking, like, when's it ever going to, is it ever going to be our year? Are we ever going to win? So any of the matchups here in the Elite Eight would be awesome, would be absolutely awesome. And then finally we go to the East with FAU coming off wins over Memphis with a crazy call at the end of the game and then the layup, and then they beat, FDU, I don't want to say handedly, but FDU made a couple runs, but it really was about FAU's guards. You know, Davis, Martin, they were outstanding. You know, Goldeen's really had a nice year. Boyd, Forrest, Greenlaw, the other guys helping out with the scoring. Tennessee, 
knocked off Louisiana, kind of holding off two runs in each half to keep them, uh, the Vols, in front of the Cajuns there. And then again, I, I, this Duke-Tennessee game will never sit right with me. The way it was officiated, um, the strategy by Barnes, it was just, it was not basketball in my opinion, but whatever, it is what it is. So we know they're missing Ziegler, but Vescovi's had a, a, a lot of big shots and shot making in this tournament. Uh, Jordan James, Kamala has been really good, especially in that Duke game. Kamala was really big for them. Uh, Vashak, Shooter, uh, Plavisic doesn't really score, but is a body, takes fouls. And you got guys like Phillips, Key, and I do uh, all chipping in as well for the Vols. So I, I guess Tennessee's a better team. Could I see FAU beating them? Sure. You know, another situation of what game kind of breaks out. Um, because, yeah, does, do I think FAU wants to put up 80? Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But if they do get in the 70s, I think they'll like their chances more than a dogfight against Tennessee that have won kind of two dogfights so far. So I'm going to lean towards Tennessee in that one. And then K-State, Michigan State, this is a really great game. Um, I thought it would have been Kentucky, Michigan State here, but K-State handled their business against Kentucky, give them credit. Uh, Keontae Johnson is one of the best stories in college basketball. And obviously, Noel coming home to play the Garden. That's all you can ask for as a kid growing up in, in the NYC area, especially city kids actually from the city, not just like New Jersey or Rockland County from you know or Connecticut. Um, Tomlin is a great player as well. Sills chips in. Tang has shortened the bench in the tournament here, so I wonder if that will catch up with the K-State team because it seems like Noel and Johnson just play every minute. They're just out there a ton. Uh, will that catch up with Tang? And again, for MSU and Michigan State, like Izzo just reminds you with little things year after year after year why he's so good. Does he get a new team like Cal does every year? No, not necessarily. But there's always a little stretch, whether it's in January or February, where you're like, oh my God, Izzo lost the team. They've lost two in a row. They look bad. Like, But... It might not have been a losing streak this year, but I feel like the, uh, unfortunately, the the school shooting and, and the death of some of the students there gave the basketball team a way to be have have a uh, a bit of brevity for the student body, for the campus, for the community, for East Lansing, and they really really rallied around the Spartan basketball team and Coach Izzo and and Izzo, you could see like. There's a little something different. You know, maybe he's getting older. Maybe he knows he doesn't have as many years as he did 10 years ago left uh, as he does now. But it, it does feel a little different. They got the Spartan strong shirts. Um, I'm sure they're constantly reminded of what's going on. You know, maybe some of the kids that have been hurt were in their the guys' classes or they came across them, whatever it is, right? Um but this Michigan State team is really, really good. And I do think they beat K-State. Uh, Walker's been sensational. Hoggard handles the ball really well. If if Hauser shoots it effectively, I don't think there's a lot of teams that could beat Michigan State because if he's shooting effectively and Walker and Hoggard and Hall and Akins are getting some of their buckets, Sissoko the big is it staying out of foul trouble because Cooper, his backup, is, is developing still. But Sissoko is awesome. 
Sissoko is awesome. He's a great rim runner and a great rim protector on defense. But the guard play with um, Walker and Hoggard is excellent. I really love those guys. And I think Izzo is primed here to get to another Final Four. Because if I if they beat K-State, they will beat Tennessee or FAU. And if K-State beats Michigan State, they will beat FAU or Tennessee. I don't think an undermanned Tennessee even though this East will be a land of, you know, craters from trebuchets, as they call them in medieval times, if you played uh, Age of Empires back in the day. Just craters of artillery in this East um, battlefield of a bracket. I still think K-State and Michigan State are better than FAU and Tennessee. So, um Tennessee, K-State, Tennessee, MSU, I think K-State and Michigan State win. FAU, K-State, FAU, Michigan State, I think K-State or Michigan State win. So I am really, really looking forward to these games. Um, the upsets in the first round are really nice, but you kind of hope the second round sets up a good Sweet 16, you know, because there's been some Sweet 16 matchups where you're like, oh, my God, a 15's playing a, uh, a, a 14. What the hell are we doing? How the hell did this happen? You know? Um, but here we are with some really, really great matchups, and hopefully it's an Elite Eight that uh, we get some classics from that set up an awesome Final Four. All right, so that's college basketball. Let's do some NFL headlines and then uh, some golf, and then we'll get you out with the Mando. All right. Uh, is it smokescreen or a real talk about the Panthers more and more infatuated with Anthony Richards? Now, I know... C.J. Stroud video dropped with him talking to McCown and uh, Frank Reich. So I think they will do uh, what's viewed as the right thing and take Stroud or, or Young over Richardson or Levis. Now, there's not it, the Richardson stuff proves a lot to me. That there's still a lot of people in the NFL that don't watch college football closely. You know, maybe they watch a little film and they look at pro days and combine stats and workout uh, improvements and system because there's no way you could tell me you watch the Florida Gators and Anthony Richardson in real time and be like that's my number one pick now at a point early on in his career a couple of years ago when he was you know trying to break into that starting role and I was like why isn't Florida playing this guy more he's electric we figured it out he's not the best decision maker um He's not the most accurate. Yeah, does he throw a good deep ball and he's athletic? For sure. No doubt. But to me, that's not the only signs of a quarterback I need at the next level. So to me, again, more smoke screens here. And uh, if you're a GM or a scout that has Richardson over Bryce Young, you didn't watch the games. Because all Bryce Young did was Will Bama in spots and make great throws and big plays and big moments. Just... Watch back the Auburn game on the Plains. That's all I'm going to say at Jordan Hare. Watch that game back. Because any almost any other quarterback in the country at that time would have folded. He was amazing. So I don't want any Stroud, and I'm not an Ohio State guy. Everybody knows that. But Stroud has impressed me. I think he throws a nice ball. He's a good quarterback. And he'll develop into one in the NFL. 
But if you have Richardson over Stroud or Bryce Young, you're crazy. And I like Will Levis. I think he's a gamer. I think he showed that he can win and, and build a winner in Kentucky. I think that's awesome. But if you have him over Young and Stroud, get lost. Because you are a combined, measurable uh, pro day guy. And I'm a guy that I want to see what you do on the field. Because, yes, is it always you have success in college, you have success in the pros? No, not always. Of course not. That's Of course that can't be true. But if you can show me you can win, you can show me you can make the big throw in a big moment, you can show me you can develop year to year to year on campus, get into the draft process, and you're below some guy that I watched and said, how? So I'll just tell you that the Richardson stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I don't think it ever will. Jets making some more moves. It's not Rodgers yet, but they signed Miko Harmon. Then they traded Elijah Moore and a third to the Browns for their second. So they get rid of a receiver that didn't seem like he wanted to be there anymore. And they send their third to the Browns for a second. Now, could that second get flipped for Rodgers? I would presume so. I would presume so. Uh, Jonah Williams, the tackle, still wants to trade for the Bengals after they brought in uh, the big guy, Brown. Jerry Judy, rumors still flying, even after the Cowboys made a move for um, Brandon Cooks, the wide receiver. And even after the Patriots signed Juju, uh, people trying to link the Pats and the Cowboys both with trying to go get Jerry Judy still. Uh, Bill signed uh, Damian Harris from the Pats, and the Cowboys re-signed Fowler and also signed Ronald Jones, which... I don't really love that move. He didn't really do anything for the Chiefs. So uh, that's really the only NFL headlines. Uh, golf, as we look at uh, day one of match play at the uh, Delt with uh, Spawn beating Fitzpatrick. Xander Shoffley beats Camp Davis. Rory knocks off Scotty Stallings. Sal Torres beat by Putnam. Ricky Fowler beat Rom 2-1. That was a great match. I watched a lot of that. Spieth hold out for the win, 4-3 and three against Mackenzie Hughes. Homa wins 3-2 and two against Sue. Matsuyama wins 1-up against Kizzy. Uh, Morikawa beats Perez. Day beats Sevison. Poston beats Fleetwood. Scheffler beats Riley. Um, we had Minlouis beat Saith. Uh, Wise beat Hoagie. Griffin beat Hatton. Herbert beat Henley. We had a draw between Keegan Bradley and Denny McCarthy. Uh, Finau beat, beat Bezen Houdin. Moronk beat Kiyama. Fox beat English. Cam Young with a nice performance against Davis Thompson. Corey Connors beat Seb Straka 6-5. Uh, Mitchell and Horschel tied. That was a nice match. I watched a lot of that. Uh, Montgomery beat Shane Lowry, who's a good match play, match play player. Uh, Burns 3-2 over Hadwin. Scott 1-up against Power. Canley beat Tower, uh, Taylor. Harmon beat Lee. Uh, who else we got here? Kucher beats Hovland. Siwoo Kim beats Kirk. Sung JM 8-6 over Maverick McNeely, and that's unfortunate because Maverick McNeely beat somebody 8-6 last year. So that's tough. And uh, we had Tom Kim knocked off Norton. So uh, that's your little day one uh, Dell match play 
little update there. So uh, that's what we got going on there. All right, so if you are not a fan of The Mandalorian nor caught up currently to Episode 4, Chapter 20, I guess it's called, of uh, Season 3 here, now's the time where you end the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you're an undertrend follower, I will tweet it out if there's any delays on uh, Thursday or Friday night. Saturday and Sunday is a no play, but possibly Game 2 of the Final Four could get delayed on the same court, but uh, that would be, as we know, sometime from now. So, Possible plays for the undertrend Thursday and Friday night, but definitely not Saturday and Sunday. Okay? So, if you're an undertrend player and not a Mandalorian fan, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for giving us another shot. Appreciate it. So, um, everybody, now is the time to tune out if you are not a Mandalorian fan. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Okay. Mando, Season 3, Episode 4. Short episode, but I thought another good one. And you're like, Adrian, you like every episode. Fine. Whatever. You can knock me. Fine. So we start with a little covert training day here. And like we got to do it next to the pond where this giant gator thing is. That's what we got to do it. Uh, but it was cool to see all the different trainings. You got a lot of hand-to-hand going on. Some with the foundlings. You got uh, blaster training. You got uh, the dart stuff. You got um, they're doing jetpack scaling like so many cool things that the mandalorians are training which is really cool and then you start with uh they they go to grogu and he's it looks like moving these rocks with the force but they're actually crap so that was a funny little uh start now din's like yo you gotta start doing this stuff bro you gotta start training bro so he challenges uh the guy, the young foundling that was baptized first episode of this uh, season, and he picks darts. So it's kind of like the darts that Jango Fett used to um, the assassin in Revenge of the Sith at the start of Revenge of the Sith, which is cool. Little uh, was that clones or the Sith? Might have been Attack of the Clones. Now that I think about it. Sorry if I screwed that up and you're screaming at your. Uh, Listening device or whatever. Sorry. My bad. Um, so anyway, first two rounds go to the foundling. And then Din's like, yo, man, you got to do the stuff Skywalker taught you. What are you doing? So he does like two backflips, shoots the guy three times. He wins, which is ridiculous. So um, as that's happening, the other foundling's like kind of pissed. He's walking away. He's like, I can't believe this little green thing beat me. It did like two backflips over me, whatever. He gets taken by some dinosaur, dragon, bird, bat thing. And the Mandalorians try to catch it up to it with their jetpacks, but they run out of fuel. Thankfully, Bo went to her ship um, and tracked the beast thing to a certain peak of mountains. So she comes back. She tells them where they are, and they're like, okay, we will go, and we can't fly there because that will alert the dragon thing to eat the, the... the kid and not you know keep him alive so they form a what's it scaling party retrieval party whatever it is rescue crew rescue crew that's what the word i'm looking for so it's bo's leading it apparently which she didn't really know but she is uh din and then uh vizsla the big man who's voiced by john farfro if you didn't know so then we get a scene with grogu and the armorer she's making him some more uh, Pescar armor, and that leads to an Order 66 flashback because 
the forging, as they say, is like very important for the Mandalorian. So how we find out Grogu gets out of the temple in Order 66 is really, really fun and really cool in a lot of different ways. One, we see more of the 500 first clones coming in. And again, we know that they were Anakin's crew and really charged with the decimation of Jedi's at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant with Anakin. So how he gets out Grogu is that Keller and Beck, who is a Jedi. Now I had to get told this. I recognized who it was and I couldn't put it together at first, but then I did. And I was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. So anyway, Keller and Beck is a Jedi who was apparently Canon who hosted a kid's game show. And that was Canon, but here he is. Um, and it's really cool because if you know your star Wars, the prequel character, Jar Jar Binks, was not really received well by a lot of fans. And Ahmad Best, who was the motion capture actor and voice of Jar Jar Binks, he took it really hard um, and even thought about committing suicide and taking his own life, which would have been really, really sad. And a black eye on the community. Not only was it a black eye for the way he was treated after he became Jar Jar Binks, but he was almost driven to end his life because of the backlash he got from star wars quote-unquote fans which is really bad so he gets them out the clones are chasing them they go through a subway tunnel he goes past the mountaintop that we saw with pershing 30 years later last uh last episode or 27 years later i guess uh technically whatever you want to call it i think that's what it is so coming back gets him to a naboo crew with the senator ship which looks like the one that in Attack of the Clones, Anakin and um, Padme were on, jet-setting across the galaxy, trying to keep her safe. So Naboo guard ship, they give Keller and Beck the keys, basically, and, like, get them out. So Keller and Beck gets Grogu out. And the fact that it was a mod best, the actor, was a really, really nice touch and a good job by Lucasfilms. And again, another thing that, just proves how much Farvo, Favreau and Filoni get it. They really, really get it. So that's the flashback. We finally understand how Grogu got out of Order 66. So, so cool. So cool to see Order 66 in live action again. Uh, even though some people hate it. I don't really care. The armor, after the flashback, gives Grogu a chest plate with the mud horde on it. That signals him and um, Din's little crew of two, I guess you could say. So now we go back to the Bo, Din, Big Man, Vizsla, Search Party for the Fatlings. So they make base at the – they make camp at the base here. And she's – Bo has done a really good job of assimilating. And she does – it seems like she feels wanted. And she seems like she gets it that, you know, once you bathe in the waters and you don't take your helmet off, they don't really care about anything else, dude. You're in the crew. Like, just don't screw it up. So she's, like, asking cool questions, which is to Din, like, how do you eat? Like, she sees everybody making food, and he goes, well, we all go our separate ways, and we take our helmets off. And then you put your helmet back on, and you come back to camp. And she's like, okay, makes sense. She's about to get up, and the big man Vizsla's like, yo, you eat by the fire. You're the leader. Which is a nice little moment. And she, we get to see her again, taking off her helmet, kind of taking the scene, um, eating, and then... We get to the morning after, and they're getting ready to scale the peak. And it's a nice sequence of seeing all the abilities that the Mandalorians have because, you know, we think of jetpack, we think of flamethrower, and 
obviously the Beskar armor, which is very important, but we don't really think of them as subtle. You know, we have them as coming in hot with the flamethrowers, coming in hot with the jetpacks, but they got to go stealth here, which is a really, really cool thing for them to do. So they get to the peak. They see the nest. Din identifies a heat source. Viz is like, I'm making a play. I'm going for it. That's my boy. Instead, it's three of the dragon, bat, whatever thing, dinosaurs, babies. So the dinosaur dragon thing comes back with a foundling, regurgitates it up for the birds, and that's when it goes down because the big bird recognizes something's going on here. And he scoops up the little foundling with his claw, and he puts the big guy Vizsla in his mouth. So Bo and Dan go after to capture him. Um, Bo gets him to release the big guy by cutting the mouth open, and then Din catches the kid after she let it go with the claw, after the other Mandalorians like kind of tangled her up, the mama bird thing, whatever the hell it is. And um, Bo loses a piece of armor, which is very important because that sets up the next ending kind of scene. So we got Din saving the kid, uh, everybody jetpacks kind of to safety, and the dinosaur dragon bird thing kind of goes down to the water and we see there always there's always a bigger fish with that uh big gator thing eating that thing. So um they come back, the crew, they all get off, the kid comes off, everybody's excited, everybody's like banging their armor together to the clap, which is a nice little touch. Um and Bo's like, yo, we got three new foundlings and here they come with the baby bird dragon thing. So they got mounts now because the, the Mandalorians are known to train big animals so they're good at that so we see that the armorer says to Bo that she needs a new piece Bo asks for a mythosaur patch the armorer's like yeah you can get one you're in the community now why can't you get one of course you can get one and then Bo's like I saw one and the, the, the armorer's like yeah you know once you're part of the way you see a lot of visions and all that kind of stuff it's cool you're don't worry about it Look kind of dismissive. And she's like, no, like, I saw one. It was real. I saw it in the living waters. And the armor is just like, this is the way. And you're like, no. Like, you have to be like, all right, let's go check it out. Let's go back to Mandalore. Let's bring the crew. Like, she's like, yeah, this is the way. So I don't know if she's still dismissive there. um, Or she's like, yeah, I know. Like, you and or Din, one of you guys is the chosen one to bring us all back. Like, haven't you figured it out yet? Um, third, maybe the third time in charm for Bo with uh, Mandalore. But I thought it was a good episode. Unfortunately, short. Um, but they really gave us like an hour last week. And I know people are like, well, it was an hour on the Doctor. Like, yeah, the show is bigger than just Mando and Grogu. It's going to tell us how the Empire, Empire and the Emperor really came back. Like, that's what this show is going to be. Because it's on... Favreau and Filoni to fix the sequels because Abrams, Johnson, and Abrams again screwed it up. All right? So if you're not liking Mando or where it's going, you probably don't like anything else. So stop complaining and no one's got a gun to your head to watch it. Okay? So that's uh, episode four, which I thought, was, again, good episode. A little short, but hey, it is what it is. So um, we'll do another Mando episode on uh, next Thursday's pod, episode five, but... On Tuesday, we will recap the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. 
Probably talk some more NFL headlines, I'm sure. Recap the Dell match play. But another big college basketball episode on Tuesday. Enjoy the Sweet 16. Enjoy the Elite Eight, guys. We'll recap it all on Tuesday. Until then, peace. Football, football, and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.